If you're just coming in now, you missed a funny video that we showed this morning of people tumbling and falling all over the place. Really what we wanted to show with that is things don't always go as we expect them or want them to go, don't they? Have you ever had tumbles like that? Who, who's had those out of control moments, embarrassing? Yeah, me too. We won't go into, into more of that. But that's how God often deals with us. And I want to ask a big man to come up here real quick to, to illustrate that. Luther, Luther Ellis, are you in the house? There he is. Give him a hand. It's okay. Don't hurt yourself. Slow, slow down. All right. So Luther um, is a big man. Uh, there's not many people that make me look small, but I think he, he gets it done. Honey? All right, so Luther, I wanna, I'm going to try and push him around a little, all right? So all right. You've, you've played football a little? That's just a little. But, all right, so just get in your stance. You, you don't want me to move you, all right? Okay. You think you can handle that? All right. <laughs> See? Already this up. Oh, boy. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. Right. Now, you're not moving me. I'm just moving oh, you. I okay. can push back. Well, a little. Just use your own judgment. I have three messages to give this morning. All right, you ready? Okay, I need someone else. All right, let's do this. All right, I'm coming. You ready? All right. This is no joke. Uh, This is happening. Okay. All right. Uh, I didn't think it would be quite like that, but now... Okay, now just kind of stand on your heels and, uh, and put your arms out like this. Wait a second. Okay, kind of on your heels, okay? Not for, on your heels, all right? <laughs> okay, now do the, the one, like the, the pelican. No, no, up, yeah, yeah, oh, whatever. See? All right, a lot easier, isn't it? All right, I'll get to why we did that. Thanks, man. Dave, he recently was speaking to a pastor of a different church in town here, of the Adventure Church, and he was just telling him what was going on with us at K2, with North and South Campus, and and that that we're actually bringing the South Campus back up here at the beginning of July, and just how how weird that even feels for us a little bit, how God's leading us in different ways. And, And this pastor said to Dave, you know, it just seems like God constantly wants to keep us off balance. That God wants to keep us off balance. And I think God does that, well, scripture shows us, he does that intentionally with us. Because when we're off balance, we're movable. We're movable by him. When we have our defensive stance like like, uh, Luther just did, and and we resist, and we have our way, and we want to do it that way in the way that makes sense, oftentimes we resist God moving us. But when we come to a point of, of surrender and just saying, okay, God, do what you want. Keep, keep me off balance and move us. That's where he wants us to be. The opposite way. That's very different, right? This, this intentional being off balance, very different from how we in our rational want to lead our lives. Who likes to be off balance in their own life? Who likes uncertainty? Who likes a, a lack of clarity for the future? Who likes not having what they need? Anybody in here? 
And it seems like that's where God wants us. It's the opposite way. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But you know what, if I'm honest with you, sometimes it doesn't seem higher. Sometimes it just seems weird. It just seems his ways and his thoughts are weird and out of control. And and I don't know what's going on. And today we're going to look at a passage in scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where there is, I want to talk about two seemingly conflicting truths that he tells us about himself and how he deals with us as his, as his church and as his children. And I think those two truths speak deeply into our situation as K to the church and the place that we're at right now. Here's the first truth, and I will read this passage with you in a second, but here's the first truth that God clearly communicates in this chapter. And that truth is that God wants us to live fulfilled lives, that he wants us to live lives that are productive and that are filled with his blessings. That's what God wants for us, fulfilled lives full of his blessings. And then the second truth he talks about is that he will intentionally lead us into times of deep need and desperation. He will intentionally lead us into times of deep need and hardship. And so we have these two truths of God wanting to bless us and wanting to give us life to the fullest. And at the same time, intentionally taking us to places that are hard and that hurt and that are full of need and lead us into desperation. And both are true. There's whole branches of theology who really fault on focusing one of, on one of these to the exclusion of the other. You have a whole thought of of theology that says, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you should never lack anything. You should have everything you need in abundance. You should have health and wealth and happiness. And if you don't, it's a clear sign of a lack of faith or spirituality on your part or a lack of commitment to Jesus. That's one way, one extreme way to look at these. The other train of thought is that as a true follower of Jesus, anything but hardship is unspiritual and worldly. And we should really live in constant need and denial and deny us any, any pleasures. And here's where both of those lead. The first one leads to either self-righteousness because you have health and wealth and seeming success and that makes you better than those that don't or it will lead you into deep guilt because you don't have And so something must obviously be wrong with you spiritually. The second train of thought, the one that says followers of Jesus should deny themselves everything and and hardship is spiritual. That also leads to one of two things. It also leads to self-righteousness because if you are suffering and if you are in need, that's obviously a sign that you're right with God because it's hard. It will also lead to self-righteousness or it will lead to bitterness and envy. And so it's really important that we keep these in balance and that we see how, how does this work? How can these two truths about God and who he is and how he deals with us both be true? And how can we live in that tension with him? And that's what we want to look at this morning. How do we live in a relationship with a God who often, almost always does things the opposite way from what makes sense to us? Let's have a look together at Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
We're going to read this whole passage. It's 18 verses. Um, Deuteronomy 8 verses 1 through 18. And then we're going to go at it bit by bit. This is what God says to his people. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Let me pray. Lord, it never ceases to amaze me that we have a book here, that we have your word written thousands of years ago, and yet it speaks right into our lives here and today. It's alive, and so are you, and I thank you for that. I just pray, Lord, that that you would explain your word to us today, that you would show us what that means for us as K2, the church, here in Salt Lake City in 2011. I just pray, Lord, that we would hear from you this morning and that you would give us open hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I want to focus on verses 1 and 2 here, where it's very clearly stated that God wants us to live life to the fullest. Let me read those two verses again. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. 
It says that you may live, that you may really have life, that you would increase, that there would be multiplication of what you have, that you would possess the land. In verses 6 to 9, he then goes into more detail of of what that meant, what he meant with with this increase in possession. Let's look at verses 6 to 9. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, and wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing so he describes in detail what he wants to bless them with he wants to give them a good land surprised he didn't lead them to germany but he wants to give them a a good land a land with with streams and pools of water that's what identified a, a rich land because there were resources there would be life see water and streams meant life for a land. He wanted to give them life there, springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley. I would today, to make it current, I would say a land with crispy cream and cracker barrel. All right? A land with vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. Bread will not be scarce. It will be a land of abundance, the land of Costco. Okay? Everything's there and plenty of it. And I love that. And he says, You will lack. Nothing. You will lack nothing. God is telling his people, I want to bless you where you lack nothing. And then he talks about digging copper out of the hill. So I'm wondering if it's here. But he wants to bless us. This is God's desire for his people. And it's his promise to his people. It's his promise. But you see, unlike God's love, his promises are not unconditional. His love always is throughout scripture. His love is unconditional and it doesn't matter. It's not a response to what we do or don't do. He loves us. Our experience of that is a little dependent on our response to that. But his love to us is unconditional to any of us. His promises almost never are unconditional. He's saying, I want to promise this. I want to do this. I want to pour these blessings on you. But for me to do that for you, you have got to follow me. You have got to follow me into these blessings. You have got to follow me into these promises that I have for you. See, God wants us and wants to give us life to the full and full of his blessings. And he wants to do that by leading us. He wants to lead us. Let's go back to the beginning of this. I want to read um, verses 3 through 6. Actually, no, let me start again um, early on. He says, follow every command I'm giving you in verse 1. Follow every command I'm giving you so that you may live and increase. He says, I want you to live and increase. Follow me. Then in verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert those 40 years. I humbled you to test you in order to know what was in your heart. And then in verse 3, he goes on, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna and giving them water and so on. And then in verse 6, he says this again, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. God 
wants to lead us. He wants to lead us into these blessings that he has for us and into these promises. And this is where it gets confusing because as soon as he starts talking about him leading his people, what does he lead them into? He leads them into the desert. It actually says he leads them into hunger and need and thirst. That's where it gets confusing. You want to bless us, but you intentionally lead us into complete and utter helplessness, into desert where there is no life, where there is no no nourishment, no water, nothing to sustain life. See, letting him lead is where it gets tricky because we lose control. We lose control. That's the place where we really, really have to trust him and not just talk about trusting him. This is the place where we really have to, have to submit and surrender. That's the place where, where pride gets in the way for me, probably for most of us. We all understand, I think, and appreciate and approve of God's plan to want to bless us, right? And to provide for us. But we have to realize that that comes with the condition of following him. Sometimes it's really hard because we make assumptions about how God should lead us, don't we? That's where it becomes the opposite way. We use our head and think, well, this, this is what makes sense for me in my life right now, God. So here you go. I'm just giving you a little hinter here, God. This is, this is the way I think this should go. One example for me in, in our family's life was when, when Dave invited us to consider coming here and join you guys for, and, and moving here from Germany. And Sandrine and I sat down and, and you know, we, especially Sandrine, always had a deep heart for the European people and their need for Christ. And so we, we sat down and she said, Christian, this makes no sense. We're surrounded. We lived in a community in southern Germany that was, was, we were surrounded by American missionaries who had left their country, their families and relatives and friends behind to go to Europe, learn a new language because of the deep spiritual need and darkness there. And so she said, look at us. I mean, we're, we, we live in our own culture. We speak the language. We love Jesus. We want people to know him. And we're right here. Why would we go to a place that, where we would have to adjust to a new culture and a different language and where, where there is a lot more of a Christian presence than it is here? It just makes no sense. Delete the email <laughs> that Dave sent. And then we brought that up to Dave. And all Dave said says, would you just pray about it? And I've, I think I've shared with you before, we had American missionary friends who lived in Germany who, who confronted us and say, how can you do this? This makes no sense. And they were right. It made no sense in our, my rational thinking. But this is where God is just, he's the opposite way. He doesn't follow our train of thinking. He has his plans and he wants to accomplish them. And he wants to accomplish them in your life and in my life. But it requires a willingness to follow to places where it doesn't seem to make sense. That's where living with and for God is the opposite way. 
See, our way of life is, is to be self-sufficient, to make something happen, to create, to move forward. And then, of course, to take credit, right? That's the American way. That's the Western way. And one big aspect of our way of living and our way of thinking is to avoid hardship and difficulties at our cost, isn't it? Avoid difficulties. And that is not God's way for you and for me. We expect and we want God to bless us, but his leading often looks like the opposite of blessing. It often looks like hardship. And it often doesn't just look like hardship, it feels like hardship because he intentionally leads us into hardship. Remember, his blessings often include very, or periods of very, very difficult times. And I shared with you a month ago how, how God led me into the deepest spiritual desert I've ever been in about four or five months ago. Would I, ever, would I choose to go there? I wouldn't choose to go there on my own. But would I tra trade that experience and the blessings that God brought out of that for anything? I never, never. I had a good friend in Germany. His name was Joseph. I actually dated his sister for a while. That wasn't so pretty. But, but Joseph, Joseph was a crazy man absolute nutcase remember one time we went to a, a water park and you know how they have these slides on germany we don't have uh, um, traffic lights at the top of water park slides okay you just go i mean as uh, you know <laughs> sewers or not you just go it doesn't matter but so we were at the top of this and you know how they have this metal bar to kind of swing yourself under well joseph was in a conflict of interest he wasn't sure if he wanted to go legs first or head first so he, he approached as if he was going to go head first. But on last second, I, I, I can't understand the rationale, he decided to go head first. And so while he was swinging, he just went head first and bumped his nose into that metal bar, slammed onto the slide and slid down, leaving a red trail behind him. Seriously. We went after him. He came out of the water. His nose, it was a large nose to begin with. His nose was so crooked, I swear he could smell around corners. It was unbelievable. <laughs> But Joseph was, was a tough guy, crazy and tough. He wouldn't go to the doctor for weeks. So his nose started growing back together like this. It wasn't a pretty sight at all. So eventually we convinced him he needed to go to the doctor. Now German doctors don't believe much in painkillers and medicating for pain. Uh, which is very difficult because I'm a wimp. But um, Joseph was in the, in the room. They had taken x-rays. And obviously something needed to happen with his nose. So the doctor was, you know, he put the x-rays onto that, that light thingy. And he walked over to Joseph and says, Well, Joseph, I think this is what we need to do. And in one split second, he grabbed his head and his nose and went... <laughs> Without any warning or any medication. Yes, that wouldn't happen here, I know. <laughs> so imagine Joseph sitting here. He doesn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, this doctor grabs him and re-breaks his nose right there. Now, would Joseph have chosen that? <laughs> Was that the best way to go about it? Maybe not. But it had to happen for his nose to grow back straight. There had to be some pain. There had to be some correction. And trust me, today when Joseph looks in the mirror, he's happy it happened. 
In the second, he didn't quite understand what was going on. He does now. And similarly, God sometimes has to, in order for you and me to experience the life that he wants for us, the life that is right, the life that is good, a life that can receive from God what he has for us, he sometimes has to break us or re-break us. And sometimes, oftentimes that means hardship, oftentimes that means pain in our lives, but it will lead to a place and it prepares us to the place where we can grow again and where we can be whole again. So let's see here in the scripture what he talks about. What is he leading his people in specifically? I'm not going to go read it again. We read this verse twice already. What did he lead the people of Israel in? He led them into the desert. and He says intentionally he led them into what? Hunger. And need, hunger and thirst, no food, no drink. And, he, and then he explains why he did this. He says, to humble us. He says, I do this to humble you. And I was thinking through, what does humbling really mean? What happens when I am humbled? When I'm humbled, I am completely out of control. Or I'm completely not in control. It's maybe the better way to do it. I'm completely helpless. I, there's nothing that I can do to fix this situation. That's humbled, isn't it? Any, anybody ever been humbled? To where you're like, there's nothing I can do here. There's total helplessness. I think one way to describe it, it's complete dependency. I'm going to completely depend on somebody or something to do something about this. And he says to, he does this to test us and to see what is really in our heart. I think what he wants to get when he leads us into this humbling, he wants to know what is in your heart. Do you really love me or do you just talk about it? Do you really trust me or do you just talk about it? What is really in your heart? And then in the same line of things, he says he tests us. He tests the sincerity of our hearts. And that can really only happen in hard times. And then he says he teaches us. And what does he teach us in this time? What did he teach the people of Israel in the desert? What he taught them is I am enough. I am there. I am faithful. I am leading you. And I will provide for you. You will have what you need. And he taught them that they depended on him. He said, you depend on me. You can fight it or you can embrace it. But you depend on me. And then the fourth thing he does when he leads us into those hard times is one we don't like to hear. He says he disciplines us. He says, just like a father disciplines their children. And those of us that are parents, we, we understand that. There's different philosophies of discipline, but we all discipline somehow. We try to correct behavior. It's necessary now and then. Probably more often with my kids. Right, Casey? He's filming there. It's correction. It's correction out of love because we know where this will lead. God disciplines us. Specifically in this context, when we start leading independent lives when we start leading self-sufficient lives he will 
lead us back into need and hardship out of love and to correct us back into dependency of him, to him. And he does that because he's concerned far more or with far more than our lifestyles. How we live is important to him. That's why he says, I want to bless you. I want you to have what you need. But what's much, much more important to him than our lifestyle or the level of our lifestyle is the, is the state of our heart. Because the state of our heart has eternal consequences. Our lifestyle doesn't. God wants to bless us abundantly and yet he periodically leads us into deep need. And he causes that need to show us you are not self-sufficient. You depend on me. And this is not just true for us individually, but I believe it's true for us as a church. And I think it's true maybe more than ever in the life of this church. You know, K2 over the first four, five years had experienced unbelievable success and explosive growth and both in, in attendance and in staff and in ministries. And it's been, it's been a crazy ride. And all of a sudden, and then, and then we planted South Campus and there was multiplication going on. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, you know these movies where something goes really fast and then all of a sudden there's a... And, and you're kind of, whoa, what's going on? And it almost, it feels a little bit like this. God's saying, now wait a second. It's great to have strategies for growth and, and strategies for this and that. Follow me. Keep following me. You to the church depend on me for everything yes we know we need a different place we know we need a bigger place and we would love to have the fun dome but right now we don't have it and I think we all as a, as a, as a staff have a sense that God is to say just follow me don't make this happen just follow me you depend on me Embrace that and let me do what I want to do with K2, the church. And I just want you to know that we as a staff and as a leadership are committed to embracing that dependency on him and to following him every step on the way. He has given us, I believe, a God-sized vision for the future of what's possible in this valley, what's possible in this, in this group, of, in this faith community called K to the Church, and what's possible for God to do through all of us together. But it's going to have to be Him. And I just want to ask you who are committed to being a K2, to being committed to embracing that dependency with us. And to, to, with us united, keep following him every step of the way. And I'm telling you, you know, Dave shared on Friday night at the huddle, he is as or maybe more excited as he was before launch. He says this is the most excited and the biggest anticipation that he has since before K2 was launched. It is an exciting journey to follow Jesus, not knowing where that will lead. It's scary. <laughs> It sometimes doesn't seem to make sense to us. But he will lead us into adventures and into hardships and into beauty that we can't yet imagine. And I just want to invite all of you to, to join with us in that embracing the dependency on God and following him and letting him steer us and direct us. 
And you know, it's, it's this sense of excitement and adventure and, and the outcome of surrendering to him, the outcome of letting him lead us into the desert. That's why Paul in his letters often talks about rejoicing in hardships. That always sounds weird, right? He says, rejoice in persecution, rejoice in hardship. And you read that, it's like, that's weird. It almost seems like Paul was in jail and he was being tortured and he was like, yay, this is fun. This is great. I love this. That's not what he's talking about. And that's not what he's asking us to do to in the midst of pain and and despair to put on a a smiley face and say, this is great because it's not great. But the outcome is great. See, we can rejoice. We can have joy in our hearts because we know We know he's leading us into his will. We know he's leading us to teach us and to correct us and to keep us on the track that he has for us. That's where the joy comes in and the joy in in the freedom and the healing that he brings to us through taking us through these hard times. So how do we practice? How do we follow him when he says, follow me, just follow me? How do we do that? You know, when I'm in a setting with with my kids, especially with our youngest, Kobe, a little four-year-old, when I'm in a situation where I know things are going to get confusing here, there's going to be a lot of people. If I know I'm coming into a situation where there's going to be a lot of distractions for a little four-year-old and maybe even danger, you know what I do is say, Kobe, you stay right here. You hold my hand. And oftentimes, right when we come to a street that we need to cross, he'll, he'll pull out of my hand. And I was like, no, 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 Kobe, you've got to hold my hand. You've got to stay really close to me because this is, this is going to be dangerous. So he doesn't understand this. I do. And this is why God is telling us and asking us to stay close to him. He, as our father, he knows what's ahead. And he's saying, stay with me here. And you've followed people before. You've, you've followed somebody in traffic to a place you didn't know. What makes following somebody a lot easier and successful? Staying close, right? Staying close. The further you get away, the higher the risk. Whoa, there's a red light and off they go. Stay close and that's what God is asking us to do. Stay close. Hold my hand. Let me lead you through this. And then he tells us how to do this. Beginning in verse 6. He says, obey me. He says, obey me. And he repeats it later. Observe my commands. Walk in my ways. Revere him, respect him, follow him, submit to him. That's how we stay close. And that is the condition to his promise. He says, follow me. Stay close. Obey me. Obey me, not because I love telling you what to do. Obey me because I know what's good for you. I know how we're going to get through this together. I know how I want to lead you through this. I know what I want to teach you and what you need to learn. Follow me. Do what I'm telling you. Trust me. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. That's the condition for being led into blessing and having everything we need. There's another way that he talks about in this passage that helps us stay close to him. And that's in verses 10 and 11. I want to reread those. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. 
says one way to stay close to him is to express our thankfulness and praise him for that. He says, thank me and praise me. I think the reason for that is if we thank him and praise him, we acknowledge where it all is coming from. And it keeps us close to him and it keeps our eyes on him rather than on us or on the things that he's given us. It keeps our eyes on him as the provider of everything we have. Basically, he says, and he says this through this passage, he says, do not forget. Do not forget. Remember where this is all coming from. And we forget so quickly. Don't they? I, know I have such selective memory. I know about you. I tend to forget the bad things. And the problem with that is you don't learn from them anymore. I, I try to remember the good things and keep those. But he says, don't forget. That is why we have certain days set aside to remember certain events, don't we? Because we know we forget. So we say, well, we got to set this day aside to remember what happened. And we do that with the good and with the bad. In Germany, in, German, in the German school system, every year there is a week set aside in the whole curriculum across the different classes to remember the Holocaust. Do you know why? It's not because we enjoy um, watching those images. It's because as a nation, we are committed to not letting that happen again. And that can only happen if we don't forget. We can't forget what happened. We've got to remember the good and the bad. In this country, you have one day that remembers the good. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest days. It's Thanksgiving Day, right? Why do we do that? To remember to remember each year that God was faithful, that he provided for those first settlers, that he was with them, that he protected and provided them. And we re remind ourselves, and hopefully we do focus <laughs> on God in that and his provision. So we do this all the time. And God is telling that us, do that with me. Remember who is your provider and your protector. And you know, Uh, that is the reason why I got this tattoo a few months ago. So that I would never, if you haven't seen it, it's Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. The only reason I put that here so visibly, and you might agree with that or not, but the reason why I did this was I never ever in this life want to forget the freedom that Jesus has given me. And I want to remember to live in that freedom. We can't forget. Throughout the scripture, God tells his people, remember, 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 remember. And remind the generations to come, don't forget. And that's what he's saying in this passage again and again. Follow me by remembering who provided. Remembering who is sovereign. Remember who leads. And by doing that, we keep our eyes on him. And not on ourselves Or on the blessings that he gives us. And that's what he goes on, goes on next. See, a big danger in God blessing us is that we embrace the blessings more than him as the one who gives them to us. Let's read this together. Verses 12 through the end. It says, otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery and led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty, waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat and 
in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you and so on. And then in verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember, again, he says, remember, don't forget, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. You know, let's be honest, the things God blesses us with are the very things that often distract us from him, that that take our eyes off from him and onto these because we enjoy him so much and we want more of it. And then maybe God is, is gracious and gives us more and all of a sudden it turns from thank you to I did it. Look at me. I did it. I made it. I'm in control. I can do this on my own. And that's when God says, let's step on the brakes. That's the time to lead us back into learning to be humble. And that's why he says, please remember, because I don't enjoy leading you into these times. Remember, keep your eyes on me. In verse 3, well, he, he talks about the desert, the dreadful desert and the waterless land, bringing water from rock. What he's talking about is, I put you in a completely helpless situation, and out of nothing, I did it. I know how familiar you are with the story of Israel being led out of Egypt and then into the desert. God freed them out of Egypt and slavery, and on their way to the promised land, they lost sight of him. And so he said, okay, we're going to have to be in the desert for 40 years. And they ran out of food. And God literally invented a food, a food group that you won't find on any of your pyramid thingies with, with, with food thingies on him. He invented a food. He let it drop out of heaven overnight. And he would do that every morning. That food was never heard of before and never since. He called it manna. He invented food just to feed them in the desert to show them, I will provide for you, but you completely depend on me. They weren't even allowed to take more than they needed for that day. And they knew they had another day in the desert, the day tomorrow. So some people gathered more. Guess what? Overnight that went foul. They depended on God providing every single day. Complete dependence where we can take no credit at all. In verse 3, he says something that Jesus later quotes at the beginning of his ministry. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think that verse sums up the message of this whole, this whole passage. See, the bread here doesn't literally just mean bread, a loaf of bread. I think it stands for the things that sustain life, all the material things also that we gather to to fill our lives and give them meaning. What God is saying here is our human way of thinking is the here and now focus. I need this and I need that and I need food and I need shelter and I need security and I need comfort and I need control. But God works the opposite way. He's saying my life purpose for you is to follow me your purpose is to follow me and not worry about all these other things follow me see and if that becomes what we become consumed with following god embracing our dependency on him then obviously every word of direction and correction gives us life because following him is life Then his will communicated to us supersedes everything else. And that's when every word from his mouth becomes all we need 
because it will keep our eyes on him. We will follow him closely through the heart and through the good times. And he will be your and my provider. And he will lead us and provide for us as K2, the church. If we completely surrender to him. And Dave has asked us as, as members and those of you that, that are committed to K2, the church, as an expression of our surrender to him. As an expression to say, God, yes, your word, every word from your mouth is more important than the bread we eat. He's asking and encouraging all of us to take these next three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to fast, to fast and pray and focus on our dependency on him as a church and declaring that and praying for his guidance and his direction to take us through this time as a church of, of coming back together with two campuses and, and waiting to see where exactly he's leading us into the future. And I just want to extend that invitation to all of you to take these next two days to fast. And it doesn't have to be a complete food fast. I don't know where you are in your life right now, what, what's going on. It can be anything that's meaningful to you. It can be TV. Oops, did I just say that? No. Okay. It can be food. It can be coffee, your soft drinks or candy. Whatever God lays on your heart. Just fast from that. But I do want to tell you that, that fasting from nourishment, from food for a few days, and just expressing, God, I want to hear from you more than anything. And would you, would you commit to that with us? To, to fast and pray and ask God to speak to you about what he has for K2. And we would love to hear from you. And love to hear what, what that does to your communication with, with God. What you feel he's telling you and where he's leading you and where he's leading us as a church. And then want to encourage you on Wednesday night to break the fast together. Now we can't do it corporately, come all back together. But why don't you find one other family. Maybe somebody you're in a life together in a small group with. Or, or somebody you're serving with. Somebody that lives in your neighborhood that comes to K2 that also commits to this fast. And get together for dinner Wednesday night and break the fast together and share with each other how that how that affected your walk with Jesus and what you might have heard God tell you during that time I want to ask the band to come up you know this is the opposite way completely embracing I think Julie when she led worship last week in the end she talked about celebrating surrender as a western culture that's not something we celebrate right White flag, okay, I give our surrender. That's not something we celebrate. I want to I maybe call it celebrate helplessness. Celebrate the state of utter dependency on God and embracing that. And I just again want to say that we as a church are committed to doing that. To surrendering and to asking God to lead us. And I just want to invite you, if you personally have never done that, if you personally have never surrendered your life to Jesus and said, you know what, I'm tired of trying to make this work. I'm tired of of trying to make sense of this and to make something of myself. And you're you're at the point where you're willing to, to really surrender, embrace your helplessness and allow Jesus to come and take your life and lead it and make it what he created you to be and to become. I just want to encourage and invite you not to wait, but to celebrate this, to make this your spiritual dependence day on Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is, 
it is so hard for our human minds to comprehend you. It's, it's impossible. So often, Lord, you ask us to do things, to follow you in the ways that we would not choose. That go so, so the opposite way from our culture and, what, and everything we're bombarded with in terms of philosophy and what we should and shouldn't do. And yet, Lord, you want to lead us. You want to hold us. You want to lead us through difficult times to teach us, to humble us, to lead us into your dependency. And you want to bless us. You want to give us everything we need. And you want to give us the strength to follow you. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray if there's hearts here who are, who are willing to surrender to you for the first time maybe. Lord, I just pray that you would enter in, that you would fill those hearts, Lord, with your love and with your grace and with your freedom, freedom from having to do it on their own and the peace that comes from just allowing you to take us and lead us and shape us. Thank you, Lord, that you have an awesome plan for K2, the church. We know that's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be exciting and it's going to be beautiful. And Lord, I can't wait to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.